Somebody was writing on Reddit about um, your neighborhood and they were like, since Stu lives in DC, has she ever like shown you the exorcist steps? I didn't respond to it, but I was like, oh yes, she has. <laughs> oh my God. They were like, I think about you every single time I go past. <laughs> Stay away from those things. They're dangerous. I know. It, but the, the thing that's so crazy to me is that they're right by Georgetown campus. I'm like, how many drunk college kids have probably like thought about like oh we should go down the exorcist steps and then you just bust ass and just go rolling down just, i you know that's had to have happened that's what they show in the movie that's like literally how someone dies in the movie very yeah. sinister steps yeah but also very convenient if you got to get across town quick that's right <laughs> all right i'm gonna jump in just silence this <clears throat> are you ready I'm so ready. I'm actually super excited about this. (laughs) This one's going to be good. Well, welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Creep Time. They asked for it, Sue. They asked for it, so I'm going to give it to them. (laughs) And baby, you deliver. I'm I'm going to deliver. delivered. (laughs) We are covering (laughs) the dark history of what lurks beneath the city, the Paris catacombs. So everybody knows like the sinister lore behind them. And it kind of feels like a like a hot topic right now, I would say, because people are talking about this conspiracy of an underground population that is living within them full time, which we talked about on the last episode, which was crazy. So I, I, I we're going to get into it in like a second, but I just, I'm going to give you like a top line basically of some of the eerie history around the inception of the catacombs, because I didn't know very much about why they even exist. And then some stories of those who have survived getting lost in the maze, which spans hundreds of miles under the city. All across the city, it's hundreds of feet deep. And there are many people who have never been found. So brace yourself because it's no joke. But what's your initial reaction? Are you feeling scared right off the bat? I just can't believe that it's hundreds of miles. Like that to me is crazy because how can – like I – I don't even know how long Paris is mileage wise, but to think that that's just winding down there is insane to me. It's, I mean, well, it makes a lot more sense when we get into some of the history of it of like, what was the need for the catacombs? Like, why do they exist? Why are they so vast? But it's interesting the way historians talk about them and a term that I'll get into, which I think is pronounced cataphiles, which are basically people who are like, like a the zodiac, isn't there like a zodiac term for that? Or like a cinephile, like somebody that's like really obsessed with them. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. They're always kind of conceding to this idea that nobody really knows the official map of the catacombs, which terrified me. I hate that so much. They're, they're like, it's an ever changing system, kind of like a cave, because we actually don't know for some of because it was never intended for people to like go down there routinely like it's supposed to be a deep storage maze where like you never go again once you like leave there what you need to leave there so systems collapse systems open there are descriptions of new systems being etched out underground so it is an ever-changing labyrinth it's scary 
<laughs> I know. Oh my God, I cannot imagine. Even as like a tour guide, you must be I know. freaked. Well, I think like if you get lost. Yeah. Well, the so it's kind of like twofold because some people say that there are so many people, cataphiles, who go down there to explore in the unsanctioned or restricted sections that in the event that you do get lost, kind of close to the surface, there's a high probability that you might be found by somebody else who is going down there with like a map and a headlamp. So that's kind of reassuring. But as far as like the public tours, that is like 1% of the catacombs. <laughs> like it's such a, it's like a section that was kind of like sectioned off basically for only that, for just tourism. Nobody goes into the unrestricted zones or they're not supposed to if it's an official tour. But of course, before we get into it, because we've got another great episode planned for you guys, I just wanted to say thank you to everybody for stopping by to hang with us. We are your hosts, Silas and Stu, and you are listening to Creep Time, the podcast. So please, before we get into it, I know we say this every time, but make sure you are following and subscribe to the podcast. And I know people listen to this and they're like, I listen every week. I don't need to subscribe or follow. It helps the podcast. So for those who do it, thank you very much. Thank you for all of the reviews. Every time that you share the show or that you leave comments about the show, it does nothing but help the show to grow and reach more people. So thank you guys. We love you. And with that, should we get straight into it? Let's get straight in. I was going to say merci beaucoup. (laughs) 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 Merci beaucoup, y'all. S'il vous plaît avec moi. Oh, God. I'm scared. You should be. Well, let's first first go back in time to retrace the steps of why the catacombs came to be. This was really interesting to me because I didn't know any of like the, the capacity problem that was going on in Paris. So one piece that, of course, is not clear to many people is what the catacombs actually are. So for those who maybe are not familiar, below the streets of Paris, France, lies this vast system of a dark underground tunnel system, which, like we said, stretches hundreds of miles underneath the city in every which direction. The official entrance point, although there are many, (laughs) is believed to be in the south of Paris, and it is a name that roughly translates to the Gate of Hell, and it extends all the way to the north end of the city. Now, originally utilized beginning sometime between, they think, like 1774 to 1786, the tunnels were filled with corpses of millions of bodies over decades of transportation in nightly wagons where they would literally, Sue, they would hoist bodies into piles on these wagons, dug up bodies from graves, hitch them to this wagon, and then throw them into the underground graveyard where they are supposed to be forever forgotten. Now, the reason that this problem kind of came to be is that it dates back actually hundreds of years prior to the inception and creation of the tunnel system as a way to store the dead. Paris had this capacity problem, which I was not familiar with, where they simply could not fit all of their dead in the ground, which is not like solely something that Paris has dealt with. We've seen that internationally, especially in Mm -hmm. a lot of like Asian countries as well. That's a big issue is like, where do we store the dead? You've probably seen like those tower graveyards before have you ever seen those i have not it, i think this is in taiwan or maybe it's thailand i can't remember but they ran into a capacity issue of like we cannot pollute the actual earth with burial grounds but what we can do is effectively build a skyscraper that is like a skyscraper mausoleum that just holds all of these remains and i think you can only rent a plot 
for a certain number of years, which is crazy. That's so crazy to think about. It's like seven, five also, to like, seven what if years. It collapsed? Oh, God. Well, funny you say that because <laughs> <laughs> that actually ties back to like part of the reason the catacombs had to become a thing. So the problem is all of these bodies, right? In Paris, this is like sometime the 14, like 1500s, I think. They're decaying very quickly in the earth. The cemeteries are becoming putrid by description. The soil could not grow anything, and the air of the city was described as contaminated. There were these historical writings that I found that were depicting Paris as having this like massive thick fog and like a stench of the dead because all of these bodies, they just could not bury them fast enough. And it's just, it's flooding the city. It's a problem. There were descriptions of merchants who could not sell their clothing because they would lay it out like outside their shop and it would brown from the air. There were food merchants who described that their produce and their meats were rotting in less than a day. Like eventually, once the bubonic plague hits, it's a shit show. What time is it? Eleven fifty nine, baby. Let me mark that down. But you can imagine once the bubonic plague of hits, of course, <laughs> it's all over, honey. <laughs> I mean, that's nasty. It is. So the bubonic plague hits. They have now hundreds and thousands of bodies that they just simply do not know where to put. It's an unimaginable problem. There's simply no place to store them. So originally, what they had started to do was they were kind of creating these pits, basically, mass graves. They're like, we just can't like individually bury people. We have to drop them into like a pit. And this became such a common practice that there were descriptions of caskets that were fixated with a trap door. So that the casket was only used for the actual funeral viewing. And the second they close the door, somebody like flicks a lever and the corpse just drops out from the casket into the pit below. It's ridiculous. Let me take a sip. (laughs) That that is theater. That is drama. It's some Sweeney Todd up in here. (laughs) Tim Burton come through. So... This becomes a problem because, of course, like, they're going to run out of space. So then they extend this. They're like, maybe we can start burying bodies, like, inside of things, like walls. <laughs> so these, like, major, like, stone walls up against the city, up against homes and businesses, they just become, again, basically standing pits where, like, bodies can be dumped. So there is a particularly gruesome incident where we're talking about the collapse of, like, these standing up graveyards. Now, these bone walls, as they were described, they had all of these, like, decaying corpses, all of, like, the bodily fluids. Like, just imagine, like, effectively a soup of corpses inside the walls. It had rotted through the wall. So there was one incident where basically the stone wall collapses and hundreds of these rotting Mm. bodies spilled out into, like, shops and the streets of Paris and it, oh, it was a horror show. Like, people vomiting, passing out, screaming, like, pandemonium in the streets. It was terrifying. So, of course, this is effectively the final straw where the city is like, we cannot evade the problem of storage. We have to figure out what this is, where they ultimately come to the solution of the catacombs. So the city would commission the vast construction of the underground tunnel system, and over the course of decades, as mentioned— All of these bodies, even the ones that were already buried in cemeteries because they had to make room for more, the graves were desecrated. They were hauled off, dumped into the pits 
and made it into the walls of the catacombs where they would never be seen again. And the catacombs to this day are the final resting place of more than six million corpses that fill the tunnels and line the walls. It was truly, truly intended to be a place where the dead could be forgotten. There was never an intention for the public to enter the catacombs unless it was to add more bodies. <laughs> so, of course, all of this changed. So any initial thoughts just on a little bit of the breakdown of the history of the catacombs? Because it's dark. I just can't. Well, first of all, I can't even imagine like living back then. I know. And just kind of knowing that that was your fate sort of like. Yes. <laughs> I Like truly when people but, romanticize previous decades, I'm like, I don't even want to live back in the 90s, let alone like going back to the 1500s. Are you joking? Right? That was me when I was younger. I was like, I just want to live in like Jane Austen times. I'm like, oh, why did I ever think that? God, I don't want to live in a time where there wasn't TiVo. Like I just I need certain things. <laughs> My, my creature comforts but yeah when people are like god it would have been so romantic i feel like there's a there's a hard stop on that like people don't go further back yeah. than like the 1800s like maybe victorian <laughs> era i feel like that's probably the last of it before people are like we can leave medieval times where they are like we don't need to absolutely yeah i cannot imagine being like a lower class civilian in that time especially like i thought that was going to be full stop period i cannot imagine being (laughs) a lower class civilian (laughs) it's like where's this going (laughs) oh my god no no like i just can't imagine also just i think paris has always had it's so glamorized Mm -hmm. but it's had a very like kind of insidious history and also a lot of the i remember when i went like i had glamorized it so much in my head and then I went when I was young like 14 or something and it's kind of like those first like it, it is absolutely beautiful like some of those first like five um I forget what they're called in Paris like not like streets not landings but there's like different names for them but mm-hmm. kind of once you get to the other side it's very I, I remember thinking to myself even at a young age like wow it's very different off of like that really beautiful like the touristy section it gets very very different quickly totally so I think it and I think that's kind of always been that way and so like to think about it way back when I'm like oh god I bet that was rough to- I mean well this is part of the reason I think the catacombs were then introduced to the public as like an attraction it was part of this mass like remodel of Paris to basically create like the lure of what you're talking about, like the the beauty of Paris, you know, the romanticism of Paris. I think well before that, around this time, from everything I've been reading, it was it was pretty bad. <laughs> but you're very right, like yeah. even to this day, and I think that's true of like almost any tourist city. Any city really. Yeah, like there are maybe like a handful of like really beautiful locations, which is what you see in the pictures, you know, but the only places that I think can be like 360 beautiful are kind of like natural beauties. Like when you go to the islands or you go to, mm-hmm. you know, like the beaches, like famous beaches, like that's overwhelmingly beautiful because it's it's everywhere. It's not even just like a man-made mm-hmm. section. Anyway, <laughs> ranting about the islands. Give me a sec. Trips by creep time. Trips by creep time. <laughs> Our travel agency opening in 2024. <laughs> Sign up for the pre-sale. So when does the public perception of the catacombs shift? Now, for some additional brief history here, just on the pivot, it was 1809 that the catacombs were 
basically rethought of, um, where they no longer had this incessant problem of like, we're running out of space, we're running out of space, we can't deal with the dead. Cremation was also going to be coming around the corner as more of a a well-accepted method of burial or, I guess, disposal. So they had the thought to reintroduce the catacombs as sort of a morbid attraction and a select ossuary, um, which kind of fixed basically a display, which you probably see this in the pictures of the catacombs if you've looked them up. They took human bones and skulls to basically line the walls of the catacombs, and this was to be the morbid attraction, and they would conduct tours for the public. Have you seen that? I have. Yeah, I think that's what people most commonly associate the catacombs to be, but it's a very like spacious, well-lit, I don't want to say pretty, but like curated version of the catacombs. The actual mm-hmm. deep tunnels, imagine a cave where the floor is nothing but bones. That's, and it's a narrow, damp cave. It's like ridden with rats. It's like freezing down there. Terrifying. I think what would make me feel so gross about that is just like the idea that I'm stepping on, like like I'm almost like disrespecting those bodies. Yes. That really freaks me They're out. They're crunching their bones beneath your feet. It's horrifying. And to be clear, I mean, this is the part that they open to the public, like I said, is an extremely limited access point of the system. And at no point is there any venturing into the restricted systems of the tunnels of the labyrinth. What was so chilling about this is that, like I said, the catacombs, they have a rough map, but nobody actually knows for sure every inch of where they extend. They are described by historians as constantly changing because, of course, the systems collapse and different systems come up and they they change. But this was to kind of prevent people from sneaking down, right? They wanted to seal a lot of the entrance points because there were so many over the city and they're like, this is too much of a risk because if somebody goes down there and nobody even knew that they went down there, no one knows to look for them. The problem that this poses of like the sealing of the entrance points of the catacombs, um, and this is what uh, they refer to the cataphile, or I heard people pronounce it as cataphile, but whatever. <laughs> if you're mapping down there to an- I-, I love that you pronounce it that way. Cataphile. <laughs> Just keep that up. <laughs> If um, they're mapping down there to a specific exit point because they're going down there as like a daredevil or an explorer and they're looking, you know, at the catacombs, it could take hours to go down there and find your way out. If they're mapping to an exit point, it is very possible that exit point may have changed by the time they get there. Like it was sealed off. There have been descriptions of people who enter through an entrance point and hours later they try to return to the surface to like get to that entrance point. And it's already been sealed. They are sealed inside the maze. I would die. I would absolutely die. If I was sealed into the catacombs, kill me. Oh, my. Like, just thinking about that in tandem with that TikTok you told me about. Mm -hmm. And just knowing what's lurking around the corner, potentially. I can't. That's (sighs) tear-inducing. It is. So... That's all I've got as far as like the brief history, just so we're all, you know, caught up to speed about what lies beneath. The real chilling part of the lore are the stories of the people who have gotten lost down there. But before I dive into those stories, I just want to see really like how you're feeling about like the private exploration of the restricted tunnels. Do you think you would ever do that with like a group of cataphiles? 
if they're like, we're going down there, like we've got headlamps, we've got, I don't know, defensive <laughs> weapons, pepper spray, whatever. Would you do that? I mean, I think I would. I'm I'm pretty fearless when it comes to stuff like that, but I... Would you do it for the podcast? I don't know. I would want to... <laughs> trip to Paris? Baby, you know I would. <laughs> you know, Well, I'd <laughs> throw the trip into Paris and then just sneak me, like just swindle me and get me down to the catacombs. I'll just put a mic in front um, of you. We've got a boom mic following us. We'll be fine. <laughs> I, I, I think I would have to go with somebody that I knew had gone down there like multiple times that I would, would have really to go with me out to like team. go off the path oh yeah i'd have to go with yeah. a team and i don't even know how far i would go like i'm not trying to go hundreds of feet below ground i'm not into that where it gets no. like there are parts no. of the catacombs too you have to army crawl like it's it gets that narrow it's an actual tunnel system when you're army crawling you know what you're army crawling on yeah that's disgusting bones snapping people's teeth out of their skull Oh, I'm woozy. Okay. So that's our brief history. Now for the instances of people getting lost in the catacombs, this is not very new. In fact, it was actually more common, I think, back when the catacombs were first starting to be like introduced as like, this is a public attraction. Because at first when, you know, it was assumed like they're storing the bodies down there because it's so putrid, like nobody would want to go down there. But after they were, they kind of ceased like, putting more corpses in there that was when the allure started so the entrance to the systems were very different then because they were vast they were open and people weren't really monitoring this but there were no maps there were no search parties and everything when you did go down there back when people first started doing this was lit by candle some people were found many were not but I really find the most disturbing cases of this place to be a little bit more modern. Those are the ones that really freak me out because I think a system like this, and you probably feel maybe similar to this, something that has sat like this kind of largely unmonitored or unchecked, I think has had time to develop over decades with people doing whatever they please down there, you know? Totally. And honestly, it made me think about just now when you said that, like when we were discussing whether or not like the Loch Ness monster like Sasquatch is real and I was telling you Mm -hmm. like somebody had told me that they didn't understand how the Loch Ness monster like like we wouldn't be able to find it because it would be like within the darkness of the ocean like that's kind of how I'm feeling about the catacombs it's like it's so dark and vast like of course over hundreds of years there's no way that we've been able to keep track of everything everybody's been changing about it Every time they go in. Absolutely. I mean, even I would say the people who are closest to it are obviously the cataphiles, the ones who go down there to routinely Mm -hmm. explore and like maybe adjust the map. But even so, many of them have gone missing. So maybe there are parts that never even got to make it to a map because Mm -hmm. whatever's down there did not want other people knowing about what's down there. So that's what I find disturbing. And I would say one of the most well-known stories of survival, I'll start with a survival story first. It took place around 2014, I think. Two teenage boys entered the catacombs, got lost. So they were kind of trying to take like a teenager, like daredevil, like cataphile approach where they're like, we're going to go in. We know like a secret entrance point, like, and we're going to like check it out. One is 16, one is 17. They found themselves too deep in the system. And they were unprepared to actually explore it. 
stuck in a never-ending maze of black, rank air because they did not have light at this point. Their lights had died. All they could do was feel their way through the system with their hands on the wall, hoping they would find an exit point somewhere, not knowing how deep they are, what level they're on, if they've already passed this this section like five different times. What they didn't anticipate was this feeling that they weren't alone in the tunnels. A search party was deployed, which relied completely on canines, again, for the canines. <laughs> it was They were used to track down the boys, which took three days in the catacombs before they were found in the dark, curled up, petrified in a corner, and they were at near death from hypothermia. The boys were rushed to the hospital in shock, and they were treated for hypothermia, but what terrified those who rescued them is that they refused to talk about what they experienced down there and what they saw. This raised some disturbing questions about how and why so many people have gone missing in the catacombs, only for their corpses never to be found, even when a search party goes down there. It seemed logical if they were maybe deep enough that most people just wouldn't find them, but it also gave way to another theory that is actually seldomly discussed. It is the horror of the thought of other people who are living down there. They are waiting for you to get lost in the deeper tunnels of the system. There have been reports this will throw you. Through the years of different people, cataphiles who have ventured days into the restricted passages, it is that vast, and have described finding elaborate setups in the deeper parts of the system, including eating spots with tables, silverware. (gasps) Someone even described finding a fully functional old-style movie theater in the system. So then comes this lore of like why the cataphiles of Paris do not recommend that tourists go down there because it's the cataphiles who are like warning everybody. You can't just go down with a map and a headlamp. The reason being, as we talked about, is that <laughs> there is a system of people who are living down there who want to protect the secrecy of their way of life and ensure that any threat that comes down there to expose them is taken. Descriptions. That while you are exploring, someone will run up to you, grab the headlamp off your head, snatch the map (laughs) from your hands, and they will leave you in the darkness, the cold pitch black in a place where they know you cannot get your way out without a map. And you are now alone, being hunted underground. Let's pause there. (laughs) Oh, God. I'm telling you, someday when I'm on my deathbed... (laughs) And you are wishing me well. If you recite that for me, I will come straight to you. I will you say, I got another year in me. I'm fine. <laughs> I got another year in me. I don't know what it is about that. Just the idea of, of somebody coming out of nowhere when you think you're already in a scary place with dead people. And there's someone that's alive that comes around the corner. I can't. I can't. <sighs> it would... It's so scary that I actually don't think I would be able to process it. I think I would go into shock. I know I would go into shock and I would be paralyzed and I wouldn't be able to do anything. What freaks me out about it is the idea that they're coming up, not even to initially harm you, but to actually make it worse. They're Mm -hmm. taking your resources to like fight back, to like hide, to get out so that you're left in the dark. But then what happens after? Do you just roam and they enjoy the hunt? I can't take that. I can't take that. Come on. That 
You know, uh, Paris, I think, felt. has Disneyland, too. We could do that instead. <laughs> we don't need to do this. <laughs> well, there is some weird... There's some weird crossover there with what you've told me about the the tunnels to get people out once True. they've died and True. the catacombs. <laughs> oh, God. Mm. That's so scary. So, of course, there is no official way of knowing just how many people have gone into the catacombs and have never come out. But it is estimated that even to this day, there are roughly half a million people who enter the system either as tourists or as cataphiles who are looking to explore and find something they should not. One of the most disturbing disappearances that has ever taken place in the catacombs was actually captured on film, which is what I was teasing to you before we got on. It's a story so chilling and so well-known among the community of cataphiles that it's kind of agreed that nobody will bring it up or talk about it. But something very clearly happened in this footage. So to describe what it is, if my research is correct... It's sometime, I think, in the late 90s or early 2000s that this footage was captured, although I've seen reports online of people saying that this was allegedly footage from 1993. It is an explorer who took a video um, and was never identified. He's an unknown traveler, right? He had gone down alone into the catacombs, and he was kind of filming with the light on his camera in like a POV format. So everything that he's seeing, you're seeing. It's estimated from the cataphiles who have reviewed footage and know the system well that he was probably somewhere in the deeper sections of the system. They're thinking like 350 feet plus below ground or away from any exit point. Really, really scary. Now, while he's filming, he seems to be getting more and more agitated, like he's becoming unnerved and what he's doing, which is terrifying to me, freaks the hell out of me. He keeps pivoting the camera back behind him as if he's like checking like he's being followed i know it's oh no it's happening it's happening oh, no, no. He's, that's, I, oh. I i just know i know this is dipping into blair witch project territory yes. and i i know i'm i'm beginning to freak <laughs> the beginning it, it's happening the beginning is happening <laughs> but he's walking and like you, you can just feel that he's picking up the pace like moment by moment but he keeps shining the light behind him as if he's hearing something like creeping up behind him so unnerving so this is happening and then at a certain point he tilts the camera down to shine the light on what's on the floor it is an arrow pointing in the direction to move forward that is made out of human bones (gasps) this is real like this is on video i'm going to show it to you (laughs) And when he moves forward and shines the light forward, there is a human skeleton, a full human skeleton that is hoisted up on the wall, like arms and legs stretched flat against the wall. That's not in like the touristy section that we're like, you know, bones have been fixated to like make something look macabre. This is like in the deep pits where only bodies have ever just been like thrown, you know? Well, that was just what I was going to ask you was like this part of the normal route, but he was deep. No, 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 no. Should not have been. Deeply restricted area, not open to the public. In fact, deeper than most cataphiles go, because when I tell you how long it would take people to like, I'll, I'll get into this a little bit longer, but yeah, he was deep. Like it was a full day excursion to get to where he was in the system. So he sees the skeleton on the wall positioned, hung up, stretched out in this moment in the tape. He then abandons his camera and light, his only source 
of getting our only source of visualization in the system, drops it in a puddle in the catacombs, takes off running in the dark. The footage, once eventually recovered, which I think was the late 90s, maybe, um, it continued to roll for, I think, like close to three hours until the battery eventually died. The man was never identified, and he has never been found, nor did anyone understand what could have compelled him to do that, like what was after him. So it would be years later, I think in the early 2000s, that a documentary crew and a group of cataphiles, they decide to get together to retrace his steps and go exactly as deep as the man went into the system. Until they finally reached where they believe his last known whereabouts was where he dropped the camera. I have the video, or I have a snippet from the video. It is narrated, so for anybody who can't see it, it will be narrated to let you know like what exactly is going on, and you'll hear some of the sound effects of like his breathing, his running in the background. But I'm going to play it for you before I do. How you doing? Oh Are we God. okay? Are we good? I should have put another <laughs> pillow under my ass. <laughs> okay. Oh, wait. Hold on. His arrows point in the direction. Occasionally also, he stops to photograph roofs of bones, which means that he's very, very deep inside the catacombs. So basically, he's filming what he's seeing very deep inside the catacombs, other than the point of view shots or pictures of human bones. The catacombs for centuries. So it is possible with these paintings uh, that we may be able to retrace the itinerary to some extent. We hear his breathing get louder and louder, uh, as though something was scaring him. He was, he's, he's frightened, he's frightened. Occasionally he stops, perhaps, to try to decide which way to run among all the many different corridors. He's running faster and faster and faster, deeper and deeper into the catacombs. And all of a sudden, we hear his breathing get louder and louder, uh, as though something was scaring him. He was, he's, he's frightened, he's frightened. Occasionally he stops, perhaps, to try to decide which way to run among all the many different corridors. He's running faster and faster and faster, deeper and deeper into the catacombs. And all of a sudden... This video camera... That's the last of his footage. Just to the imagine shots of him running. I know, I know. Alone. Alone. What like what was that? Is that like hysteria where he's panicking or also I I mean I just have questions about some of the like the tangible evidence that we see in that video as far as the bones of in the arrow on the floor and the skeleton. Let me actually send you a picture of okay. the skeleton. Hold on. So can you remind me when they found this footage? That wasn't found until I think the late 90s. If this 1993 thing is true. Yeah. Catacombs. Oh skeleton 1993. Um, to give you some I- further context really quick, just about how deep they actually were, because I feel like it's hard to convey or like understand because I don't know the catacombs all too well, but it 
took them eight hours, eight hours to get to his exact location where he abandoned his camera. And despite their continued search in that area, even where he ran, they never found his body, like with the clothes that they think he was wearing. Oh my God. Come on. That's so scary. I know. Hold on. I gotta find this skeleton. Uh. I just feel like he was running because I don't know if there was something down there with him or if I, I don't know what I was thinking was like, maybe he realized he had lost his way and was like, I got to start running now to try to get back. Cause I don't know if I'm, I'm going too far down or something. I feel like that's counter. And I mean, that made sense to me where I was like, is he just like having like a bout of hysteria where suddenly he's like, I, I have to yeah. run. I have to get out of here immediately. But he would not be in the right state of mind because he must know he's eight hours underground. <laughs> like, you're not going to run right. anywhere. You're going to have to retrace your steps calmly. Oh the thing that got me was like, I really do feel like he thought, whether it was in his head or it was real, that something was following him. He kept mm-hmm. looking back with that camera, turning around to check with his light. You don't do that unless you hear something or think something is like stalking you. Mm-hmm. I'm going to send you this. So this is a still that somebody enhanced from the footage, which this is after he finds the arrow of bones. This is what he eventually sees for a split second on the camera on the wall. Stop. Can you describe it? Is that the body? Yes. Like the, like it's like a body, like, yeah, that's the skeleton. Oh my God. Creepers. And that's in, is that, that's not the ceiling, is it? No, I think this is on a wall directly like the, in front of him. Okay, that's like, okay. Oh, God, it's like out like the body's like sprawled like an X. Fully skeletal. That's so sinister. Oh, my God. It's probably, I can't tell. I mean, it's so grainy and tough to tell like how it's like hoisted up like that. Is it nailed to the mm-hmm. wall? Is it hung up by chains? And just to think how long it's been like that. I know. He also, I mean, he's down there like really exploring. There are other um, stills from this I can send you where he's like picking up human remains and like looking at human skulls and stuff. So is it possible he freaked himself out? I'm going to send you another picture. Mm -hmm. Let's see. And he is certainly not the only one with the camera who has gotten lost down there. But between his story and... The story of the teenagers who refused to talk about what they saw and all of those people who were like, no, I have found like full human setups down there. It's crazy. I just want to know why there's an ABC family <laughs> sticker on this picture. <laughs> they were showing this on ABC family. Hell yes, they were, baby. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my Lord. That that picture is so gross like the busted open skull and he just picks it up when in rome you got to explore oh my god let me show you this actually i'll send you one last picture this is um because like it's crazy that the catacombs were not just like tunnels It, it seems like from their inception they were never even just tunnels to like store things that's what they publicly said they were but like then i see structures like this that are clearly very old and were built as a part of the original construction. And I'm like, well, what is the purpose of this? You know, like, why why does this room exist? 
wait, is that little like to creepers? I'm like looking at a room that almost has like a little fake like castle set up in yeah. it, like a diorama almost. It was is that what is actually down there to this day? Yes. That's so weird. It's like a little mini like amphitheater looking thing or something. Yeah. It's very like moss grown too. Yeah. We have to go actually. The more that I'm looking at this, I'm like, we have to go. <laughs> we have to. I, twist my arm and take me to Paris. <laughs> but Stu, oh my God. that's all I got. I know that we could probably mull over this for forever because the stories are kind of countless, but I really wanted to fixate on specifically the found footage because I found that to be the eeriest of all. And the fact that they still have not found what they believe to be his corpse is the haunting reminder. That's so... So there must be people that go down there too. And like, I would just be so curious like to talk to locals about like people that go down, come out and like have to just describe like what they saw and like, it's I don't know, I just... Mean, retell the stories like i just can't even imagine like the people that obviously like the tiktok of the person that mm-hmm. you know was scared of seeing somebody down there take off the headlamp or whatever but like there's got to be things that happen to you like tricks that your mind starts playing on you in the dark totally you ever watched yeah. we talked about this before you ever watched the descent no oh my god it's so good it's so it's um i think it takes place in new zealand or maybe it was just shot in New Zealand. I don't know. It's a group of women and they're like adventurers. They're a little bit older and they go cave exploring. Um, and they're taken into a cave under like a false pretense by one of their friends, which they think it's like a well-known cave. Like people know the system. We told people we're going into the system. She lied to them and was taking them into like an uncharted cave because she wanted them to like discover it as a group. Cause they'd be the first people to like conquer the cave while they're in there. It collapses, so they're trapped inside, and they have to find their way through the system to figure out where an exit would be. The problem is, this gets into, like, missing 411 territory. There are, like, highly evolved bats living inside there that are human-like, like humanoid bats that hunt in the dark. It's so crazy. Oh, my God. It's so crazy. It's such a good movie. And the second one is just as good. We have to watch it. But I thought about that for the catacombs. (laughs) Okay. I also was just thinking for on my territory. Have you ever been into a cave? Yes. Oh, wait, you weren't with me in Kentucky. I know. I was going to say I that just dawned on me. I was like, I don't think I went when there was some group of us that went to caves. Yeah. I think you weren't feeling well. I think that's what it was. You were. I was sick. Yeah. Sit hungover. Sick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> no, I think. I, yeah, that's right. <laughs> I was like second day of tour. Sick. <laughs> <laughs> sick, honey. Yeah. Sick of it. Oh. But sick of it. We yeah, that was so sick. Um, that was in Bowling Green, I think. Uh huh. Right, and it was cool because it was a boat cave tour. So you go in, and to get into like the actual like huge like the only thing I could relate it to was like the Goonies when they find the ship in that giant like cave space. That's what it felt mm-hmm. like. But to get there, we had to lay flat in the boat because the ceiling of the cave, the roof of it, is so low that you can't sit up straight. You have to lay flat in the boat. And we got in. There's a waterfall. It was stunning. Super beautiful. I also did the gorge in Kentucky, which was Mm -hmm. underground um, kayaking through a cave. 
And that was super fun because it's pitch black and we have headlamps and everything. But at a certain point, your guide, he goes, all right, so we're going to do something together. We're all going to turn our headlamps out and just sit in the water for a minute. And we, t- when I tell you we turn those lamps out, we know darkness. We don't know darkness like that. Like right. we don't know where like there's your eyes are looking for something to grab onto like, oh, there's like a glimmer of light. I can adjust to like that, like as my focal point, total blackness and just the sounds of like the drips in a cave and like you're <laughs> kind of swaying in the water in your kayak. I that would have been a recipe for disaster. <laughs> it was so fun and though. Seasick in darkness. Oh, I know. Now I I mean I would love to do that. I that that sounds amazing. I saw recently that outside of DC there's apparently there so there are caves in like the Shenandoah Valley mm-hmm. and there's apparently the biggest Oh gosh, I have to look up what the name of it is, but it's essentially somehow the like um stones that have grown within the cave mm. have formed this huge musical instrument basically where people oh. go in and they like play it's like basically a xylophone made out of like cave it's crazy i have to find the name of this that always sounds um, smart to me to go into like a, a rock structure that could be susceptible <laughs> to caving in and just like start banging on it <laughs> to make <Right>. noise <laughs> it's called a stala stalic pipe organ Hold on, I have to show you a picture of this. This is crazy. Have you seen videos of them playing it? Yeah. What do they play? I I think that they just... <laughs> Sweet on, home Alabama. Like. <laughs> <laughs> Wagon wheel. Oh my Wagon God. wheel with two C. <laughs> Honestly, Cher would love Cher would love the Stalic Pipe organ or whatever it's Absolutely. called. Absolutely. It's going on tour with her, baby. She's got a oh her fifth God. farewell tour. Oh, I've seen stuff like this. Okay, okay. Oh, this is cool. Where is this again? Sorry. Oh, wait. It's like right out it's in Virginia. I mean, it's like right outside of DC somewhere. You know, this is reminding me of somebody I saw this on Reddit, I think, before we jumped on. They were talking about the cave systems in Kentucky because I didn't know Kentucky was actually known for like all of their cave systems and how vast they are. But people were talking about spotting the cave goblins of Kentucky, which again is like missing 411 adjacent. I didn't do any research on it, but I kind of want to look it up. Cave goblins. That's just you and me looking for a Bucky's on tour. I was going to say, cave goblins. I'm like, that was me in college on winter break. I would come out for like one hour of daylight. <laughs> just back to back watching Roseanne and like eating slice and bakes raw. It's sad. And not Roseanne. Roseanne. Not Roseanne. The Connors. <laughs> oh my God. That's so funny. I used to love that show as a kid. Oh my God. I'm an Aunt Jackie like stand. I never got in. I never got into Roseanne. I feel like I, I guess I watched The Nanny a lot. Oh, yeah. The Nanny, for sure. Yeah. What are the other ones? You never watched, like, you didn't have, like, your Nick at Night phase where you're, like, full house. Um, uh, George Lopez. Totally George Lopez. A little bit of George Lopez. I was eating Um, that show up. Um, What else was on Nick at Night? Actually, I had, like, a huge, like, Golden Girls phase. Me, too. I love the Golden Girls. That was one of the prizes yeah. last night at Drag Bingo. It, it was like a it was a Golden Girls like Mad Lib book, and I'm like, I want that. 
<laughs> Who was your favorite Golden Girls character? Oh, B. Arthur. Well, actually, uh, that's tough. To say. I guess it is B. Arthur. I love B. Arthur. So she, she's such a legend. She really is. Nobody can deliver a line like that. Just pure deadpan. But honestly, the mix of all four of them was such gold that I kind of think it's been replicated time and time again. Like, I almost mm-hmm. think that I have a theory. <laughs> Stay with me on this theory. I've had a longstanding <laughs> theory that Sex in the City was completely modeled off of the dynamic of the Golden Girls. But Carrie Bradshaw, the character of Carrie Bradshaw, was modeled after a highly feminized version of Fran Lebowitz. <laughs> Stop. The nonstop chain smoking, the big poofy curly hair, quintessential <laughs> New Yorker, is a writer. I'm like, this is like femme fatale Fran Lebowitz. <laughs> I wonder if Fran Lebowitz even knows who Carrie Bradshaw is. <laughs> she certainly does not. She's going on That's tour, so Fran Lebowitz. Funny. I want to go see her. I love Fran. That's so funny you mentioned that. I was just watching a video of her this morning talking about, I think she was talking about, she was like, they were asking her for like her hot takes on things. And she was like, there's too many people that think they're funny. She was like, just because you have an opinion doesn't make you funny. Speak on or it, girl. Like that. I was just like, speak on it. Yeah. That's right. Right. Oh knife my to my God. throat. She's like, just because you've got a mic doesn't mean you know shit about shit. What's the time? I know. I'm like, <laughs> let me tell you, I'd go to the Paris catacombs with Fran Lebowitz. That is television that could break barriers. <laughs> the Super Bowl. <laughs> Nothing compared to Fran Lebowitz exploring the catacombs with us. Creepers, if you want to make the calls to ABC, to CBS, to get things rolling, please let us know. She's also in that ABC family shot that you sent me. She's yes. just in the background. That oh I wish somebody God. could like Photoshop that or like impose that. Like you're in the catacombs. It's like a fake video of somebody <laughs> running in the catacombs and you're expecting to see like a goblin from around the corner. And it's just Fran Lebowitz. <laughs> Smoking a cig. Just like comes around in like a suit and some loafers. She's like, I'm tired of it all. (laughs) (laughs) That's so fun. It's just so unnecessary and so out of pocket that it's like heightened funny. Yeah. But my. And I bet you she wouldn't think it's funny. She would not. She would not laugh. And I love her for it. But I I firmly believe that Sex and the City was modeled after the Golden Girls. And then I think Girls on HBO. I don't know if you watched Girls when it had its like peak. I did. Yeah, I did too. And I I thought that that was like also kind of modeled off of Sex and the City. So not necessarily taking the exact same structure as the Golden Girls, but it was now taking the reinvented structure that was Sex and the City. Oh, definitely. I've actually been rewatching Girls. Really? Mm-hmm. I haven't it's seen having it in a years. big rewatch right now. Interesting. Was that like peak millennial? I think that's peak millennial. That was like millennials who just became adults. That was that that's was right. like what girls was. That that was millennial <laughs> euphoria. It was girls. One hundred percent. Our Gen Z audience is like, huh? <laughs> no, I feel like they know what girls is too. Um, Maybe that's why it's having a big rewatch right now. Oh, totally. I mean, Gen Z's brought back so many shows. I, honestly, I feel like millennials too. Like millennials kind of brought back Friends. Like I remember in college, like watching Friends and Seinfeld and like Frasier, like all of that. That was like a college thing for me and my friend group. But those shows had gone mm-hmm. off the air like back in the nineties or like early two thousands. <laughs> you just. 
reminding me when I first moved to New York, add it to my list of scary stories about my setups when I lived in New York, but we didn't have, we couldn't afford like cable or anything. And so my roommate and I, all we had was one box set of like season two of the Golden Girls and we just would watch it together all the time. We would just rewatch season two. That's really sweet. That's kind of endearing, though. I know. That's cute. I know. It was kind of amazing. (laughs) You didn't have, like, Netflix or anything? You couldn't do that? I think... I don't know what it was. We we had this whole phase where we would literally just have, like, free box sets on DVD. Because I had a DVD player. We Mm -hmm. had a TV. But I guess... We hadn't figured out to hook up like an HDMI with our laptops or anything. Or maybe we didn't have Wi-Fi yet. Maybe that was what it was. That that could be a problem. Yeah. I um, I think I was kind of in the same boat. I don't actually remember us ever having a TV when I first moved to L.A., which is crazy. When I tell you we the first place I lived in in L.A., <laughs> there must have been six of us living in a three-bedroom apartment in Park La Brea. And we had virtually no furniture. Like... Like we had a singular pot in the kitchen. There was a fold out <laughs> table with no chairs. And I think a couch that somebody found on the side of the road and a dartboard for me <laughs> to stand in front of. This is just, we're just recording creep time after dark right now. This is creep time after dark, but I was, I was, oh God, that's, you want to talk about something really chilling? Those are my catacombs. Like thinking about my first apartment in LA. That's. Oh my God. Dork. But after that, I moved into a nicer, a nicer place. Still had three roommates, but they were wonderful. And it was, I think it was Bryce. Bryce who had, he brought all like the subscriptions because he had all his family subscriptions. So he was like, I've got the Hulu bundle or whatever. And we're like, solid. (laughs) Love it. Love it. Oh my God. Anybody that had like, like YouTube or Apple TV mm-hmm. logins or honestly like HBO login, that was high the tier. golden login. That was high tier. HBO login. You could get me to do a lot of things. You could get yeah. me to do a lot. <laughs> Maybe that's a good place that we end it because we've gone, we've gone way off from the catacombs. <laughs> yeah. But Thank you for listening. Thank you for taking a deep dive into this story. I really appreciate it. And I feel like this is this is kind of going to go into the vein of like Nahani Valley in terms of like sinister places. Because we don't have a focal point for this as like of like a victim or a killer per se. This is like a sinister place to go. Right. And we got to go there soon enough creepers let us know in the comments if you would like to see silas and Stu <laughs> and fran lebowitz explore the catacombs in 2024 <laughs> halloween premiering on sci-fi <laughs> and with that bye guys bye creepers